Let's get vulnerable, vulnerable. Y'all, this episode was hard to record. I do want to state that I do talk about PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, which is an anxiety disorder that can come from experiencing or witnessing a traumatic event. People can experience anxiety, stress, or fear. If you are someone who is experiencing PTSD, please consider seeking help from a qualified mental health professional, especially if it is intense and severe. Aside from that, we are going to talk about how PTSD and healing from a traumatic event is most certainly not linear and how it can keep us stuck and keep us from showing up in every area of our lives and to be the best version of ourselves, but that we do have the opportunity inside of it to heal in beautiful ways that can eventually allow us to show up in even deeper ways for everything in our lives. Welcome to the Create Beautifully podcast, where the potential in me honors the potential in you. If you're wondering if you can really change and truly find and live your purpose, then I invite you to let me be your accountability partner and for you to be mine. And together, we can explore with curiosity and humor what it is to create beautifully in every area of our lives and to take action to make that happen. Welcome to the Create Beautifully podcast. This episode is a little bit intense, and the point of it is not just me tell my story of the scariest day of my life leading to the scariest time of my life, but also as a way to share with any of you who are kind of in a PTSD pattern that can keep you from moving forward. As I share my story, you may find it very relatable. If you experienced anything similar, you may find the intensity level relatable. You may find that your story is way more intense and you may find that it's way less intense and all of those things are okay. They're all welcome. They are all your story and your path. And we each have our own story and our own path to walk. And that's just the way that it is. (laughs) As easy as it can be to say, oh, mine isn't as bad, or I wish mine wasn't as bad. It's just our own path. And the more that we embrace our own path and accept our own path, the more that we can heal the more that we can find the places that we can live into in terms of our gifts and our talent and our purpose here on this planet. So let me start by sharing kind of the impetus for doing this podcast, because this episode was actually completely unplanned, at least for any time soon. I had not not thought I would be talking about this so early on. (laughs) Um... So earlier this week, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she's nine, almost 10, she had a loose tooth. She had a loose molar and it was 
loose, not insanely loose. She was jumping on the trampoline. We were, she was taking a break from doing some homework with me on the back porch. And she came jumping off the trampoline and she said, oh my gosh, my tooth is really loose. Look at it. And so she opened her mouth and she had this like slightly bloody mouth. So I was like, go inside and rinse and swish, which is what you always, we always end up doing when someone's got a loose tooth. So she rinsed and swish and rinsed and swish. And then she said, I'm going to pull it out. And y'all, this is the complete opposite of me. I would wait until my, to- my tooth was like hanging and dangling out of my face and just like absolutely fell out on its own. I would not let anyone pull it and I certainly would not pull it. But she's gotten to the point, this is like her 16th tooth that she's lost. She's very ahead of the game when it comes to teeth. And so she kind of gave it a yank and it got looser. And then she gave it another yank and it got looser. And as I walked up, she gave it this third yank and I saw it. It was not a very simple yank. It was like, and the whole thing came out. And I was like, oh my gosh. So of course, there's more blood, more rinsing and swishing. And finally... You know, she takes a paper towel and we soak it with water and she just kind of holds it in her mouth. And she's like, all right, let's go back and get some homework done. We were kind of on a timeline. We had to go somewhere. So we're like, okay, let's go get some homework done. So she comes back outside with me and, you know, she's kind of taking it out occasionally. And she's like, it's really, it's really not stopping. (laughs) Like it's really a lot of blood. And I said, let me see your mouth. And so she opened her mouth and it was obvious that the tooth was not ready to come out yet. It was definitely loose. I could see half of the other tooth below it. So it was definitely loose. But the other half of the tooth, I'm sorry if this kind of stuff makes you queasy, maybe turn it down for like five seconds. (laughs) The half of the other tooth was just really irritated gum. It was really red, really raw puffy, like did not look happy at all that she had ripped that tooth out. And I was like, oh my gosh, girl, it's crazy. Go look. And so she goes and she goes inside. She has to see it. So she goes inside and she looks and she comes back out and sits down to do uh, homework. And she just starts to turn white and she, she gets real quiet and she starts telling me like, I don't feel right. I don't feel right my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. And I was like, oh girl, I think you freaked yourself out. Like, I think you absolutely freaked yourself out and you're like in fainting mode and you just need to lay down. I don't know about you guys, but I've been there before. I I can freak myself out uh, around medical things and almost make myself faint. I used to faint at the dentist <laughs> or almost faint at the dentist when I was little. So I totally understand. So I was like, lay down. So she lays down and And, you know, I just talked to her and we were on the porch so we could see the sky. So I'm like, let's look at the sky. Let's look at the clouds trying to get her out of her, out of her anxiety mind and into the present moment. So we're doing that. And finally, she's like, I'm okay. And she sits up and we start doing some more homework. And she's basically fine after that. She gets a little bit lightheaded again. And as best I could tell, she was getting lightheaded. She didn't have the words for lightheaded, but based on how she felt and the way her face looked, it was lightheaded. So it kind of got a little bit better, still not all the way better. And then we were done and she was able to kind of rest on our uh, porch and she was like, oh, I just feel so much better. And several hours later, um, one of her friends was home and she went across the street to play with her friend and she was playing with her friend for like two hours, hour and a half, two hours, happily playing, comes home. 
sits on the couch. The TV's on and the volume's down. And she's sitting on the couch just staring at the TV. She doesn't ask to turn it up. She hasn't grabbed her iPad. She's not talking to any of us. And I'm like, are you okay? And she lays down and she's like, can I go to bed? It was like 6.30. (laughs) Her bedtime is around 8 o'clock. And she was like, can I go to bed? She looked just as pale. She looked awful. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what are we dealing with? Like, this has been hours and she's felt fine. Like, what is this? And she's like, I don't feel well. My stomach feels weird. My left side hurts. So I'm like, is it appendicitis? Like, what are we doing? I can tend to go to worst case scenario a little bit. I'm like, do we need to get blood work? So I make her eat some beans for like some protein, some fiber, some kind of evening out um, blood pressure. And then um, I also gave her some apple juice in case it was like blood sugar. <laughs> I'm like, are you okay? And I said, do you want to you wanna sleep in the bed with me tonight? And she was like, yeah. So I put her in bed and she goes to sleep. And at this point it was like, it was like 7.15. Like we kind of got her to hang out a little bit to just see how she was doing. So she goes to bed. And so by the time I go to bed, I barely slept. I was having, I get heart palpitations, but they're not fully heart palpitations. So they're not where my heart goes like crazy. It's where my heart kind of skips beats and feels like it's doing this flip-flop thing. And there are times where it's just been completely gone. There are times when it's worse. I do think... Certain things make it worse, um, but I slept horribly, and it was like almost every position I was in, my heart was really flip-flopping around, and that always makes me nervous, and I'm like, am I dying? Am I going to die in the middle of the night? My child's going to wake up, and I'm going to be dead next to her. Hi, welcome to my brain, and I know I'm not the only one out here with this brain. Like Some of you are like, that's really intense, and some of you are like, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> um so the next morning I'm talking to my husband and I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. You know, I really, my heart was going crazy. And he said to me, he was like, do you think it was anxiety? He's like, you know, do you think it was kind of some of your PTSD? And, you know, he said, this was a little bit different. We didn't know what it was. You know, if your kid has something like a cold or a stuffy nose or a sore throat, you're like, all right, I know probably what we're working with. We'll go to the doctor or we'll just, you know, wait till it gets better for a few days. But for something I didn't know what I was working with, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why she was feeling faint. I didn't know why she had stomach pain. She didn't have a fever. Um, And to not really know what I was working with, coupled with the history that I have with her in terms of the day she almost died, um, it just kicks in. Like the anxiety just kicks in whether I want it to or not. So um, I'm going to share with you what happened the day that she almost died. Um, And it was years ago. So it was Memorial Day 2015, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 23. So almost eight years ago, literally just did that math on my fingers. So almost eight years ago, eight years ago, y'all, and it's still there. So yeah, whatever you have going on and you're like, it's still there, things can hang out. So it was Memorial Day. She had croup. She had croup. She had it pretty bad. And I'd spent the whole night 
basically up with her from rocking her to trying to get her to go back in her crib and go to sleep to rocking her. I was also using essential oils. They were, they're still popular now, but they were just so popular. And I don't think there was as much knowledge about them. And I believe I was probably using oils on her that shouldn't have been for a small child. So if some of you were like, oh my God, if my kid has croup, this is going to be scary. I think it was a combination of things. Um, I think it was croup. I think it was the amount of crying and screaming that she did. I think she was unhappy. She's also, um, she's a very vocal and screamy kid. (laughs) Still can be. Um, So she has no problem really stating when she's very, very upset. So just so you know, okay, so 2015, so she was, um, she was two, or no, she just turned, uh, 13, 14, 15, yeah, she was two, yep, she just turned two, um, just screaming throughout the night, just doing the best I could, being exhausted, wanting her to go to sleep, so the next morning, it was Memorial Day, and she was in my husband's arms, um, really exhausted at this point. I was making pancakes in my pajamas, which were really just like old pajama pants from Old Navy and this like boat neck shirt <laughs> that was ugly and nothing matched. And my oldest daughter, we were making pancakes together and I was on the phone with my mom. We were talking about, um, you know, if we were going to do anything for Memorial Day, because my folks live nearby. So we we're like, are we going to get together? And so my youngest was on my husband's lap and all of a sudden my husband starts to say my name and he's like Liza Liza and I was I just told my mom I had to go and I ran over and he had her and was like kind of holding her in front of him and giving her like a gentle shake and she was just uh limp she was not responding he kind of gave her like a smack on the face um and she just her head just dipped down and she just she wasn't responding she wasn't moving um and she wasn't breathing and i saw her start to turn blue i saw her lips start to turn blue um and my husband who was in the navy kind of went into like crisis mode and he said Call 911. I'm going to give her CPR. And I remember him taking her and putting him putting our daughter down on the floor next to our floor vent, which is funny because I remembered him putting her down by the floor vent and I know part of his memory is the floor vent. <laughs> and I immediately called 911 and as even before I called 911, I was looking at her and thinking we don't have time for 911 to get here. Um, like whatever's happening right now is in extraordinarily time sensitive. <laughs> um, and we don't, however long it's going to take them to get here, we don't have that time. So I'm on the phone with them. He's doing CPR. Um, I really don't have much of a rec- recollection of what my oldest was doing. Um, my oldest at the time would have been five. And I'm on the phone with 911 thinking, we don't have time till they get here. And all of a sudden, I remember that our neighbor down the street is an ER, a pediatric ER nurse. 
And I'm like, we're running to Amber's, by the way. Like, we're leaving. Let's go to Amber's. Let's run. And he was like, you know, get our oldest daughter and let's go. So I just started running. I'm talking to 911. And they're like trying to ask me, like, is she breathing? Can you do that? They're trying to tell me how to do CPR is what I recall. And I was like, I all I know is that I had given them our address and I didn't need to answer their other questions because my husband was already doing CPR and I already had a plan to find someone faster faster than uh, 911. And so my, so my husband, so I start to run. I just start to run down the street and it was slightly chilly for the end of May and it was also really misty outside. It was somewhere between like sprinkling and just mist. So it was kind of wet in the air. There were some really light raindrops. And I was just bolting down the street on the phone with 911, telling them we were changing addresses, um, giving them the new address. And my husband, I would later find out, he gave her, he said he first checked her airway, which you're supposed to do, and there was nothing. And then he gave her CPR. Um, you know, he did breathing. And there was no response. And then he put his finger in her mouth again to really, you know, to really make sure that it was all cleared out. And at that point, she bit him. And so he didn't want to leave the house without having some type of response from her. So even though I was running down the street, he was, you know, he was with her. Um, he was basically saving her life. And, um, yeah, eight years ago, and like still like, ah. So when he was like, he was like, when she bit me, that's when I knew I could leave the house. He's like, so he picked her up, ran outside after me. He said he was stopping every few feet to basically smack her in the face. Um, he really feels like the rain really helped, the mist. Um, the mist kind of helped, but she would start to bob her head and he would smack her, um, not like hard, but appropriate for to try to wake her up, you know, for a little two-year-old. And, and the mist was hitting her face. And I was, at that point, I was at the neighbor's house and I didn't know what her shift was. I knew sometimes she worked the night shift and I had no idea what, it, if she was going to even be home when I rang the doorbell. Um, and I knocked on the door and... Her husband answered and they had kids and our kids had played sometimes and they were really, they're just sweet people. And the husband answered and I said, uh, I said our daughter's name and I said, she's not breathing is Amber home. And the way, the look on his face, the way that he responded matched my own level of urgency and I will like never be ungrateful for his immediate response. And he ran upstairs to get his wife who had just come back from her shift and she came out in this like nighty. And I'm going to tell you this guys, you remember the weirdest things. I swear to God, she came out in this nighty. And I remember looking up the stairs at her because I could see the top of the stairs from the front door and thinking, Wow, I love that she has the confidence to wear such a cute nighty, like to wear such a cute little silk nighty to bed every night. Like that was a fucking thought that I had in the middle of all of this. 
just just to be like you never know oh god your brain just does weirdest thing and you just think the weirdest things um and yeah that thought was somehow in there and and she came running down the stairs and my husband ran up and she took our daughter and she just held her while 911 was on their way and she just said um she just kept saying she's breathing she's breathing she's breathing um 911 got there they had me um put her on the floor and they were I don't even know, just doing whatever diagnostic stuff they do. And they had an oxygen mask on her face. And I remember leaning over her, her feet were to me and I was sitting down. I remember leaning over her and the other thought that I had that is your brain just like, why are we thinking about this right now? Um, is that I'm sure every, cause it, cause when 911 comes, like a fire truck comes and the 911 truck comes. So it's like a lot happening. <laughs> and I remember leaning over with my boat neck, unmatching shirt thinking everyone can see my boobs right now um everyone can see my boobs and this was when I still had my implants in that's another episode and uh I was like oh well but I was still aware that probably everyone could see my boobs um and so they got to the point where they like felt okay putting her like on a stretcher and they were like, okay, you you can drive with us. You're not allowed to drive in the back of the ambulance. I don't know on what, like every TV show you ever see, like a family member just hops the fuck in the back. Like, oh, I'm just going to hold your hand. But my experience in an ambulance, and I do have one, um, is you're not allowed to sit in the back because if something distressing happens to your loved one, they don't want you back there freaking out and grabbing them or you know, grabbing, grabbing the 911 um, workers or grabbing your kid or your family member or whatever, like they just can't have you back there in case shit goes downhill. Uh, but I was allowed to ride in the front and my husband was like, I'm going to run home and get you some things and I'll meet you there. So he went home and got like my purse and my shoes and then the neighbors who we were at, they were like, Will, you can keep your oldest here and then your parents can come get her. So we had I had to call my parents from the ambulance, tell them what was happening. They went and picked our oldest up and everyone went to the hospital. Um, and in the ambulance on the way there, I couldn't see her. Um, they had given her an IV. And then, um, God, the, sometimes the weirdest things can hit you or just you're like, oh, wow. But but the the um, 911 guy in the back, um, he was younger, I think. And he um, he after they got her like settled and gave her uh, IV and stuff, he pulled up Elmo videos on his phone and just let her watch Elmo. And um, I kept being really, really worried because she was so quiet. And I kept being like, why is she quiet? Why is she quiet? Why is she quiet? And he was like, she's okay. She's just watching Elmo. She's okay. She's just watching Elmo. And that whole like, why is she quiet? Um, is absolutely part, a part of the PTSD that I have. Um, that I've been in the process of healing now for eight years. Um, so we got to the hospital. They, uh, we didn't know it was croup at the time. Side note, 
We did not know it was croup. Um, I really hadn't had much experience with croup. croup. My oldest had not had it. Um, it's kind of where your airways get inflamed and tight. And when we got to the hospital, they were checking for things like seizure. They were like, did she shake? Did she do this? And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, they wanted to do this experiment not a test, not an experiment. That sounds kind of uh, creepy. They wanted to do a test where they were going to put all these electrodes on her head to try to see if she'd had any type of seizure episode. And um, it would be where they would put them on her head and she would have to stay still for a number of minutes. I'm not, I forget how long. Um, And like, good luck getting a two-year-old in a hospital bed with like an IV in her arm to sit still. Like any two-year-old to just lay there, allow you to put electrodes on her head, and then just sit comfortably. Um, So she really, really had a whole... She was really freaking out about that and was really screaming about that. Um, And it was finally my husband who was like, we're fucking done. Like, we're not going to do this. I don't give a shit. Like, get out of this room now. (laughs) We are fucking done with this. Um, and And then someone kind of helped put it together where it looked like croup. It might have even been me. Um, And they brought in some steroids and she wouldn't take them. She refused to take them. She refused to take them. And I was so scared of that happening again that I basically like let them like force feed her the steroids Uh, So her whole experience, her experience at the hospital was like 100% traumatic. Like we only, we spent that day, and this was early in the morning, it was early in the morning that it all happened, probably like 7.30 in the morning. So we spent that day, that night, and then some of the next day in the hospital. Um, So all in all, it was a relatively quick incident um, with some seriously lasting effects um yeah we got we got out the next day you know my husband and I slept on this kind of hard leathery plastic feeling couch um every time every time she rolled over I would get up and move her wires that were kind of you know, in her arm and attached to her heart rate and all that stuff, I would get up and move them so she wouldn't roll into her wires. Um, And then we got to go home. And they're just like, you know, go home. You know, you basically saw what it, (laughs) what it looked like to have a dead child and good luck and you can go. Um, And I, I, definitely from that point um spiraled like everything it was like any any dreaming I could do about the future any excitement about my business any excitement about future plans with the family anything ever it all came to a screeching halt all I could think of was death and how we are all gonna die and what if my kids die? What if I die? What if my husband dies? Um, how are we going to die? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Everything was about 
everything was about death. I could not think about uh, anything else. And in June, I was supposed to go with my husband. He'd won a trip for work um, to Colorado. Yes. Yes. Um, I think it was Colorado. He won a trip to Colorado and we were booked to go. And like, this was in June. So May or maybe it was July. It was like six weeks later. And we were supposed to go. And as the days started to lead up to it, um, I was starting to feel ill and extra faint. Kind of like my kiddo with the tooth. Like I was feeling really faint. Um sick and it was I think it was the morning it was the morning before we were supposed to leave and my folks were going to come and they were going to take the kids and our dog so that we could go out of town and that morning I felt really ill and really spaced out really lightheaded and I was upstairs with my kids and I said I need to go downstairs and like drink some milk or something because I feel really shaky. Like, I think I just need some food. And I went downstairs and like had a glass of milk and um, it was almond milk for anyone that cares. <laughs> and my oldest came down and I was like, hey, I, I just need to sit on the couch. And I sat on the couch and l- laid over and basically passed out. But I had like put myself in a smart position beforehand And I'm pretty sure I passed out because, like, when I opened my eyes again, like, the room was spinning and my kids were no longer in the room. And my oldest had brought my youngest upstairs. She had said, like, let's just go upstairs. And I think she told her some story to make it okay. I don't even know. I forget what she said. Mommy's sleeping. I feel like there was a bear involved and I feel like I should ask my oldest. Not like not like a bear like showed up, but like a bear was part of her like metaphor to get her to go upstairs and make her think it was okay. Um, but yeah, so so that happened, and my folks came and they got um, they got my kids and they got the dog, and then my husband came home and um, I we started to pack and we were getting ready and we we were going to the airport the next day and I started to feel really faint again and I was like I don't I don't like can we just stop on the way to the airport and I just need some milk? I don't know why I keep kept feeling like milk was going to be like the thing that was just going to make me not feel lightheaded. But I was like, I just need to stop for some milk. And he was like, I think you should go home. Like, I don't think you should get on a plane. I don't think this is like bodes well for you, like getting on a plane. Um, and he drove me home and I just, I just went inside and like, we, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what the deal was. Um, he uh, he was, I think, slightly annoyed. He did not like know what was happening, and this was a really big, important thing for him. So he went, and I was like, I'm going to try to get out tomorrow. I'm going to try to get on a flight tomorrow. And so I was able to get on a plane flight and make it out there the next day. And um, And when I was out there, I really just didn't feel like me. I felt like I was seeing the world through a tunnel, I felt lightheaded. I felt um, a lot of anxiety, but I was really trying to be present and I really had not pieced it together, you guys. Had not pieced it together. And so we had this big fancy dinner. Oh, wait, I need to go back for a second. 
When I was by myself that night, before I got on the plane the next day, I thought it would be a brilliant idea to start watching The Walking Dead for the first time. Yeah, so I'm like basically having uh, anxiety attacks and watching The Walking Dead. Nobody's home, not even my dog. This was not a brilliant idea on my part, but it was what it was. So I'm watching one of the episodes and I feel this energy move up my body, like from my feet, through my back and into my teeth. It was really weird, like into my teeth. Like it was like I felt anxiety, like in my jaw, like under my teeth. It was really weird and it felt really intense and it happened like twice and it really, really freaked me out. And I had a, it, it was really, it was really scary. I don't think the way I described it, I don't think the way that I just described it sounds as intense as it was, but it was, it was this wave of anxiety, this wave of anxious energy. And I was kind of wondering what it was. And finally I decided to Google panic attack. Um, and it matched a lot of what was going on. And I was like, I think this is like a panic attack. And then I started to get worried that I would have a panic attack. So so I'm in Colorado. I made it to Colorado. And I start to worry. So the worry is in general is there. And then the worry that I'm going to have a panic attack is there also. And we're at, it was nighttime and we're at this fancy dinner. And I'm sitting there with my husband and everyone's dressed up. And it's all these couples. And everyone's like, oh, your husband's this. And where are you, you know, where are you from? And how old are your kids? And, and, and I... Stop being able to hear people. Um, it was like ringing in my ears and I started to feel the panic again and I felt awful. And at one point, I believe I was like, I like I have to go. <laughs> um, and I, I left a little early from the dinner and went and laid down. And so my husband is in is in like, financial planning and he started out with like insurance and stuff I always feel the need to say someone we did meet at um, Second City doing improv comedy not that I want to take anything away from his industry he's amazing at what he does but I know insurance can sound a little boring and I want everyone to know my husband's not boring (laughs) it's like very important to me um so being that they were like an insurance company they had a nurse like they had a whole nurse's station in it was this huge it was this beautiful grounds these beautiful grounds it was like this hotel and a spa and um this lake and these woods it was beautiful and they were like hey if you need to go to the nurse's station i was like i think i need to go to the nurse's station and i went to the nurse's station and it was this lovely um it was this lovely lady who i believe was indian and i was in kind of one of the cubicle things they'd kind of set up little stations with um what is it with like curtains so I was in one of those and I told her how I'd been feeling and then I told her I said my daughter almost died six weeks ago and she was like okay well this is what's happening like you're having like you're still reacting to that like that's the mode that you're in and I I had not put it together I had not put together that like I was freaking out about leaving my daughter. I didn't ever want to leave her. I was freaking out. What if she died while I was gone? What if it happened again while I was gone? And all the feelings and all the fear and all the trauma of that event 
was so fresh and still living in me. And she gave me a Valium. It was the first time that I ever took Valium. Um, and I was able to have lunch with my husband and be like, it's okay. I, like, I'm okay in this moment. This story does not go into me getting addicted to Valium or anything. <laughs> um, but I did get, I did eventually get a prescription for when it was really, really high anxiety. Um, and I would, it was probably maybe once every two to three months that I would need it. Um, but yes, she was the first person to be like, hello. And then it was, it was that December that I first got serious about yoga and yoga as a healing medium. It was where I joined a yoga studio. Um, I had done yoga like at our rec center, which was really nice, but I joining a yoga studio was a whole different experience. And I went there literally to be like, I need, I need some healing. I need it's, this is caught in my body. It's caught in my emotions. It's caught in my memories. I need, I need a place to just like move and ground that also feels, feels spiritual. Um, and that was really big. I mean, I hit in my darkest point, in my darkest point, I literally had the thought where I felt it would have been easier to deal with had she actually died. That's how, that's where my brain was. That's where my mental health was. And I felt like that because having her here and spending every day being like, like just thinking about her nap time or being like, she slept two minutes longer than she normally does. She didn't wake up as early today and just running into her room and, and looking on her monitor and walking into her room all the time and just, just really feeling like at any moment she could just die. Like my entire nervous system was like, she could just die at any moment. And silence means death. Silence means she might be in the process of dying. Silence means she could be turning blue. Um, and just constantly like, oh my God, is she okay? 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 Like there was a part of me that was like, had, like if she died, like how fucking nuts is this? Like if she died, I would just, I would just be dealing with that and not this constant, like, not this, like, it was like, it was like I was constantly being tasered. Um, and obviously, obviously, I did not actually wish for her to die. What I wanted was to not feel like I was being tasered. And it felt like that would have been an answer to that. And that was not the answer to that. Um, and for anyone, if, if there's anyone who's listening who has lost a child, that is, that is worse. It is worse. Um, 
I have not experienced it. I hope I do not experience it. And I know that if my child was not here now, it would be worse. Um, and for any, for any of you that have had any type of trauma where you just have been in a season or you are in a season where you just feel like you're constantly being tasered, I come with the message that there is healing and that this healing is in the form of a spiral. We go over and around it all the time. We just, we go in a circle around it, but it's not the same circle each time. Each time we pass by the trauma, whether, you know, something externally reminds us of it, uh, which is usually the case, or it just pops up uh, in a dream or or just pops up in our memory or whatever it is, or all of a sudden our body just becomes anxious for some reason. Um, we're going we're going around it again. But as we go around it, if we're conscious of it, and if we're doing what we can, to heal from it, it's like a spiral. Yes, we're going around it. Yes, we're feeling the pain again. Yes, it can feel like being tasered again. But we're slowly getting further, just a little bit further each time we pass by it, creating this outward spiral. And sometimes when the trauma happens, we can spiral in and down and in and down. And a healing spiral looks like up and out. And it's not easy. And I say that from this experience. Um, even, you know, she had, um, she was the first person in our family to get COVID. And that was two years ago. So it was like, it was even like a year into COVID, um, maybe a little under a year into COVID. So still plenty of years after this incident, she had no other, she's had no other scary incidents since then. Nothing to believe that, that this is something about her body and everything to just do with whatever that particular set of circumstances was, um, which is nice. And um, whenever she's sick, I'm more likely to sleep on her floor than her sister's floor, even though I will sleep on her sister's floor, uh, if needed, I will check on her more often. And what happens and is slowly getting, it's, this is the piece that's slowly healing. At first it was just, at first it was just every time she was sick. It was awful. Every, my, I, all of me shut down except the part of me that was on high alert for when she'd be better. And I swear to God, I'd ask the poor girl like a hundred times a day, how are you feeling? Better or worse? How are you feeling? Better or worse? How are you feeling? Better or worse? When she'd nap and be like, do you want to nap in my room? Do you want to nap in my room? So that I could always just easily look on her. I mean, even if she napped in her room and just, you know, walk upstairs and go check on her. Um, and before this, before this happened, I... 
I was fine when my kids were sick, like fine. Like even sometimes where if it was just like, you know, a bad cold and they had a fever, I would be like, yeah, you pass out on the couch. I'm going to get some work done. When you wake up, I'll make you some soup. Like it was like, oh, sweet. They're taking a nap. Gives me some time to get stuff done. Like literally that was how it was. And that's mainly how it is with her other sister um, or with her older sister. There's not, there's not three of them. There's just two of them. Um, and, but with her, my capacity to be present, to believe the best, to continue on with life, um, diminishes. And it used to be turned down to just nothing. The volume used to be all the way down on that. When she would get sick, it would just go dark, um, and it's slowly, slowly through healing. Yoga was something I did. I I finally went into therapy early the following year. Um, and I did EMDR, which um, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the lots of it for for another episode. But EMDR is basically where you um, you hold these these little things in your hands that that buzz some therapists i think will have you hold them uh one in each hand some you can tuck them in your socks which i think they do to to kids sometimes um but the idea is you retell the story and it buzzes on your left and your right and your left and your right as you tell the story and what happens neurologically like i you know i'm not a neurologist so we're not going to get too sciencey here but basically what happens is because it's activating both sides of the brain in an alternate fashion as you tell the story your reactivity around it starts to lessen um the shitty thing is you have to retell the story <laughs> and then pause at certain points that feel particularly loaded um and it is hard fucking work it is hard and it is emotionally exhausting. It is physically exhausting because you're so tired after it. Doing something like e- EMDR, um, and it's it is worth it because I know now when I go around the spiral, I'm not as close in as I used to be. Yes, the other night with the tooth and what the hell was happening with the fainting. Oh, by the way, side note, we took her, just so everyone knows, I took her to the doctor um, the next day to be like, that's the other thing. I also take her to the doctor a lot more quickly than I do my other kiddo. It's just, it's this PTSD reaction. It's like a trauma reaction. So went to the doctor like right away the next day and he called it a vasovagal response, which is basically what I was part of what I was having on a physical level um, when it came to going out of town for that trip for my husband shortly after this this incident. Um, so she had a vasovagal response to her tooth, which can kick in for a couple days, which is basically like a lightheaded, sometimes fainting response with a nauseous stomach. And so they gave her some Zofran, and in like 30 minutes, she was like, I feel better, Zofran and some uh, electrolytes. <laughs> So it was like, it was fine. Um, But it was still, you know, it was still something eight years later that can keep me from getting things done, from having a good night's sleep. 
And before I took her to the doctor, the doctor's appointment was at like nine the other day. I had some time. She was just like watching a show on her iPad. And I came in my office, which is really like zenned out. And I had some tea. There's an upcoming episode all about tea and tea ceremonies, which I'm really excited about. And I love tea to help ground me, to help get me into my body. Um, Tea is a meditation. And I sat and I was doing I was doing a bit of a meditation because I knew I was having this kind of PTSD trauma response. It wasn't as intense as it used to be. I'm in in the outer circles of this spiral, but it is still a spiral and I still pass by this event. Um, And I was just sitting with my tea and just my eyes closed and just feeling my body and going into a little bit of a meditation um, and just really starting to feel a little more grounded. Uh, And this is one one of my practices that I do along with things like yoga um, and, you know, if necessary, therapy or whatever, whatever I need. Part of what this podcast is is about is sharing all these different things with you guys. So there's a lot of different tools, but for sure, tea tea and meditation are, um, and just silence are some of the places I go to first. And I know that my word this year, if you've listened to that episode, is stillness. So I wanted to lean into that as well. so just sipping this beautiful hot tea, um, the tea that I was sipping at the time was called, it's called Water Rabbit. It is by Tea Huntress, teahuntress.com, should you be interested. I love this tea. Um, and I was just silent, grounding, starting to come back to myself a little bit and feeling good. And all of a sudden I just opened my eyes which was kind of weird because I wasn't really done meditating. I didn't really feel like I was ready to open my eyes. It was like my eyes opened on their own and I was facing my windowsill, which is like a three window windowsill. And on it was a spider looking at me. The spider was not there this entire time when I'd been doing my tea ceremony, when my eyes were open or yeah, when my eyes were open before I closed them, did not see a spider anywhere. Opened my eyes literally randomly in the middle of a meditation Uh, And there was a spider. And my first thought was like, oh, thank goodness, you know, something something had me open my eyeballs so that I could kill the spider so that it won't eat me alive and turn me into some weird web creature. (laughs) Um, So my immediate response was to get up, get a couple tissues and crush it. And right before I crushed it, I noticed it was black and white. And it's weird because I have never seen that type of spider in our house. We get a lot of wolf spiders, which kind of look like brown recluse spiders, which is a little bit deceiving and kind of an evil thing to do that they look so similar because you're like, is it going to kill me or is it just a pain in the ass? Um, But it was weird. I'd never seen this spider and I just crushed it and I threw it out. And then, and then me being me, I always think of, I always think that things are signs I'm always like, is there a sign? Is someone trying to say something? So then I decided to look up the spiritual meaning of spiders because I do stuff like this. Um, And literally, I was immediately regretful that I had killed this spider because I felt like it 
was here to give me a message, <laughs> which sounds really weird. Um, and I was so, 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 so like, like insanely sorry that I'd crushed this thing. Like almost inappropriately <laughs> sorry that I had killed the spider. Although for the, I'm sure there's some people who are like, no, yeah, you shouldn't have killed it. Um, spiders can mean a bunch of different things, but some of them are just flowing with life stepping into personal power, effortless creation. And I had started thinking at that point in the, in kind of just going inward that maybe I would create a podcast episode about this, um, as well as patience and receptivity. And then I found this one article that kind of talked about like the different colors of spiders and what that can also mean spiritually. And this stuff is so cool to me. And so a black and white striped spider can mean like a yin yang, like a balance of harmony. And what I was reading, I read like some whole thing. I read a whole bunch of different stuff. And basically what I, what I picked up from it was like, you're in the right place and you can flow with this and it's okay. Like you can be part of the spiral where you are right now in this moment, literally reading about the fucking spider you saw, as well as what you're creating, what you're doing, how you're showing up for your family, for yourself. It's all right. Like you're going with the flow. Um, so my message for anyone who feels stuck or like you can get stuck in, in any type of response. It can be to anything. It can be trauma around money. Um, it can be trauma around your kids, your parents, yourself. Um, just, just anything that you're, that you're working on healing that you don't want to stop you. One, know that it's part of your story and it's part of the power of your story. Whether or not that feels true, it is part of the power of your story. And two, if we choose to be present to it and to allow those turns around the spiral to be an up and out and not an in and down, and some, some, you know, some days they can feel more in and down than up and out. And that's actually part of the up and out process. <laughs> um, but the more we can allow that, the more we can heal and the more we can be present and bring what we need to, to bring to ourselves and to the world. And you have full permission for this, for any of it, any of it trauma, not trauma, feeling like you're procrastinating, taking too long, whatever it is, like you have full permission to have your timeline be your timeline, be your story. It is so easy. It's so easy, A, to get trapped up in other people's stories and B, to even think, oh yes, this is going to be my timeline. This is going to be my story. And also, 
I want my story to be different than this. <laughs> or I feel like I feel like this isn't supposed to be my story because I'm stuck in this. Because I haven't taken action, because I can't sit still, because I haven't done any work, whatever it is. That is that is it. All of that. All of that stuff that feels hard and messy. That is your story. Well, I hope I hope this did something positive. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope this did something positive for you today. Um, and just know that you never know what someone else's story is either. You never, you never know what spiral other people's have, how many spirals other people have. Be compassionate about your own spiral, your own journey. Trust all of it. Know that all of it, the messy, the stuck, the yucky, the beautiful, the joyful, the celebratory, it's all part of it. It's all yours. And know that other people are doing it too. And we're all in it together. All right. Go forth and create beautifully, friends. Thank you so much for lending your ears and your hearts to this episode. Again, if you are so inclined, I would love a review and a share. If there's anyone individually you'd like to share this episode with or this podcast in general with, or if you'd like to take a screenshot and share on social media, you can tag me on Instagram at Liza Hippler. That would all be so, so very appreciated. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.